but we're, we, as uh, was mentioned before, we're starting a series uh, in what is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and it's the book of Philippians. Uh, but I don't want you to turn there just yet. Uh, I'll tell you when. I want you to just keep your Bibles closed. It's a, it's a great book, and I don't know if there's any other book in the, in the Bible, certainly not in the New Testament, that is quoted more often. Um, you all probably have memorized several verses in this book. It's only four chapters, but it has a lot of encouragement in the things that Paul writes. I mean, uh, you could probably quote these verses with me, but since we'd probably all quote them in different translations, let's just, I'll just quote them for us. So you got Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You got Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you consider others better than yourselves. Then you got 314, I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then you go to chapter 4, you got 4-4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Um, And then you have verse four, uh, chapter four, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, it's just one verse after another. And um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with all of those verses and, and many more. Now we've titled this series in Philippians, Partnering the Gospel. And um, there's so many themes in here we could have, Titled it many things, but that one won out. Um, and uh, my plan today is to set the stage for us by just the back. Okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, to set the stage for us and to provide just the backstory leading up to this letter with the hope that you all can put yourselves in the shoes of those in the Philippian church and to empathize with the emotions that Paul had when thinking about the Philippians as he was writing this letter and the emotions that they would have had when hearing this letter being read to them. Um, We're gonna start about 10 years after Paul's conversion where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, okay? Um, He's already taken his first major trip with Barnabas where they were pursuing God's call to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles having been sent out by the church in Antioch. And now he's on his second major trip, this time with Silas. Then shortly afterward, when going through Lystra on the second major trip, they picked up Timothy along the way, and he joined them on this journey. And their purpose for this second trip was to strengthen the churches that were established from the first trip with Barnabas. But then they also did some extra things. But as the proverb says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So Paul's plan on this trip was to evangelize the vast province of Asia. And I forgot to uh, talk to Cassandra up there, but there is a map that I'm going to have you bring up so I can explain uh, what we're talking about. But even in their good intentions in serving the Lord, and even in our good intentions in serving the Lord, we can hit delays and redirections, as I'm sure that you all have, have found. Um, in fact, I heard this week that Ed's truck broke down on a trip, and that was a redirection <laughs> by the Lord. Um, but uh, it, it, is that a slide of that map in the, if you can, if it's in Proclaim, if you could bring it up. Um, 
Oh, okay, that's fine. That's fine. So anyway, uh, well, Asia would be the region of the seven churches that Jesus would address in the early chapters of the book of Revelation. Uh, but God ended up saying, no, Paul, you know, I don't want you to go there. So um, now I, the reason I wanted to bring up this map is because when we think of Asia, okay, we're going to think of China, Japan, Korea, and that's what we think of when we think of Asia. But when he talked about Asia in, in the biblical times, it was this area that today is really like Western Turkey, okay? And so um, on the second missionary uh, journey, um, you might not be able to see the pur purple, but when Paul gets to Antioch over Tia, uh, there in the Galatian region, he's wanting to go over to all of these areas in Asia, which is in the, in the more the orangish pink area, like where Ephesus is. But you can see God prevented them from doing that. So they went north. And then he, he, uh, Paul redirected his sights on Bithynia, which is that yellow, where it says Bithynia and Pontus. Um, uh, but again, the Spirit of God, it says in the book of Acts, barred his way. So he and Silas and Timothy end up going over to Troas, okay? And so Paul and the team kept heading west until they came to that northern tip of what is now Turkey in a city called Troas that is by the Aegean Sea. And during the night, God sent him a vision. And in that vision, a man from Macedonia in northern Greece beckoned to Paul with the cry, come over and help us. So in short order, they set sail, convinced that they had divine direction where to go. It was not their first choice, nor was it their second choice, but it was a redirect from God. So this is how they ended up in Philippi, which is the first city that they, they hit in Macedonia over there to the top left corner. That, that's all I had for the, for the map. Um, so it was only by God's intervention that Paul and his team headed into Macedonia and came to the great city of Philippi. It wasn't, it wasn't his plan. Um, now that city was named after Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. Um, and by this time it had become a little Rome. It had become a Roman colony. It was granted colony status uh, by Rome after Octavi Octavian's uh, victory over Brutus and Cassius, Cassius at Philippi. Now, um, I don't know how many of you remember your Western civilization uh, class, if you had one, but Octavian was avenging his great uncle's death, who was Julius Caesar. And um, because Brutus and Cassius were in the Senate, and they stirred up the Senate to to rise up against Julius Caesar. So um, Octavian was more prominently known by the name Augustus Caesar, whom we read about in Luke when Jesus was born. He was the emperor. He was actually the first emperor of Rome. Um, so being granted colony status was a great privilege in those days. Those who lived in Philippi were granted Roman citizenship with all of its privileges they had the right to vote, to run for office, the right to sue and be sued, the right to defend oneself in court. And what's pertinent to our story today is that no Romans would be tortured, whipped, or receive the death penalty unless they were found guilty of treason. And all that background to say this, this would not have been a place that you would think would be open 
to the word of the Savior King, whose victory happened on a cross, the Romans having perfected death by crucifixion for criminals. Um, There had been little exposure to anything Christian in the city, not even to anything Jewish. Um, As you find in the book of Acts, Paul's typical um, mode is when he goes to a new city, he would head first to the synagogue, which was his customary practice. Um, But because there wasn't one in Philippi, um, he, he didn't do that. It appeared that there were not even the required 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue there. So Paul and the team headed to the riverside where Jews would typically meet for prayer. And it was there that he shared the gospel for the very first time on the continent of Europe. And the Lord opened the heart of a woman from Thyatira named Lydia, and she and her household became the first converts in Philippi. And the church was born on the European continent. Then Paul delivered a poor slave girl from a demon that tormented her, but the exorcism removed her ability to make a profit for her owner's fortune-telling business. So those owners were, became very angry, and they falsely accused Paul and Silas of sedition against Rome. They were brought, Paul and Silas, that is, before the magistrates, and it appears that they did not receive a proper trial at all, uh, because at the time the magistrates did not know that they were Roman citizens, uh, but were quickly accused and sentenced to be beaten with rods, and they were quickly thrown into prison. So to the amazement of the other prisoners, um, Paul and Silas turned the jail into a midnight prayer and praise service. Um, Why? Well, uh, I know the book of James probably wasn't written yet, but Paul and Silas had joy. And uh, they were just living out what James goes to teach us in James 5. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Then let him pray. So they prayed. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. They had joy in their hearts, so they sang praises. Can't you just picture Paul saying, hey, Silas, I just have this joy in my heart. I mean, my back is killing me. My legs are killing me in these stocks, but I have a joy in my heart, Silas, so we just need to sing. doesn't matter that it's midnight. And the praise service ended abruptly with an earthquake that freed everyone from their bonds and left the prison doors wide open. So the keeper of the jail, being um, a Roman citizen, Uh, was about to kill himself rather than suffer being executed for letting the prisoners escape when Paul cried out to him because God no harm. And he said, no one had run off um, because God was working. Paul always seemed to have this awareness that God was working uh, around him. And uh, the jailer who heard Paul and Silas's prayers and praises was overwhelmed in the moment And he asked Paul how he could be rescued from divine judgment. And he and his family became the third group to make up the church at Philippi. Well, Paul wrote this letter about 10 years after those initial events that um, you see in the book of Acts. And um, since that time, Paul and and Silas, they'd been set free from prison. They continued and they they finished their their second um, journey Uh, And then they ended up taking a third major trip since then. And that third major trip included stops in Philippi, both on their outbound route and then on their inbound route. Um, And that's when Paul was collecting money to support the church in Jerusalem. And um, the church family at Philippi became some of his most ardent supporters. And they gladly took part in the relief offering for their brothers and sisters in Christ that were suffering famine in Jerusalem 
but Paul's trip of love to bring relief to his Jewish brothers in Jerusalem turned into a disaster, and he ended up getting apprehended um, by, the, by the Romans. And um, after two years of imprisonment and multiple trials, Paul ended up in Rome under house arrest, uh, but even in house arrest, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day that guarded him, waiting to appear before Emperor Nero to make his case. And um, you can imagine how concerned this particular church was because they loved Paul. So they sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to travel to Rome with a love offering and to find out how Paul was doing. And then another turn for the worse, Epaphroditus became very ill and nearly died. Now they stood to lose two of their beloved brothers, but by God's mercy, Epaphroditus recovered. Apparently he stayed with Paul for quite some time. Um, Paul called him a valued fellow worker um, and soldier for Christ. Um, Paul also sends a letter to his dear brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that he wrote from house arrest, and he sends it back to Philippi with Epaphroditus. And um, it, this letter just is, is overflowing with affection and gratitude for their partnership in the gospel with him for more than a decade. <clears throat> so I want you to just think about how the believers in the church felt when the word reached them that Epaphroditus had returned. He was well a letter from Paul for them. He was alive, he was well, he loved them, and God was doing a work through him. What would have raced through their hearts and their minds? Think about the joy, the relief, the excitement, probably enough to bring tears to them. Epaphroditus was back safely, and they had a letter from Paul. Um, so when the church gathered, perhaps one of the pastors or deacons, or maybe even Epaphroditus himself, broke the seal on the letter and unrolled the scroll to read to the whole church the long-awaited words of love and encouragement and instruction from their beloved Paul that he penned from his house arrest in faraway Rome. Everyone sat or stood breathlessly. I know it's hard to put ourselves in their shoes, but that's what I'm trying to have us do this morning, waiting to hear what the Spirit of God had to say to them through him. Imagine that you are in that church family gathered there that day. Maybe it was in Lydia's house. And rather than looking at your printed copy of this letter in your Bible, I want you to sit back this morning and just listen intently as they would have on that day. And I want you to hear the heart of Paul for Christ and for us. I'm going to read the whole letter now, just as they would have in that day. And just as you would read a letter from a loved one today. And when I finish... I'll take a few minutes to look at a few observations. <clears throat> From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Since both, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment 
And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you are partakers with me of God's grace. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brethren, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love because they know I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether I live or die. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, even Christ, but also to suffer for him since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face and now hear that I am still facing. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, by having the same love, being united in Spirit and having one purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vanity, but in humility, treat one another as more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind towards one another, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the desire, that is to will, and the effort, that is to work for his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice together with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice together with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by hearing news about you. For I have no one like him here who will really demonstrate or who will readily demonstrate his genuine concern for your welfare. Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in advancing the gospel. So I hope to send him just as soon as I know more about my situation, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. But for now, I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you, for he is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to me in my need. He has greatly missed all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have sorrow on top of sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you can rejoice, and I can be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and do not rely on human credentials, though mine too are significant. If anyone, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee, in my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated by the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from being obedient to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, 
to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead with this goal in mind, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Be imitators of me, brethren, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us as an example. For many live about whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with their mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So then, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long to see, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, dear friends. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow work say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. I know you were indeed concerned for me before, but you had no opportunity to do anything. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am in. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share with me in my trouble. And as you Philippians yourselves know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. For even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. For I have received everything and I have plenty. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Give greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I trust that um, my prayer this morning was that God would speak something to each and every one of you, and especially since we're, we're reading the whole book of Philippians here, and it's God's word, God's word that uh, has the power. Um, I know that God could use his word this morning to speak something to each one of you through, through reading that. Um, but I want to take just a few moments and consider some observations from the beginning of this book. Um, <clears throat> one, we see that Timothy was with Paul. Um, Timothy was most likely not imprisoned, but as it says in Acts 28, visitors were free to visit Paul while he was under house arrest. So that was, that was a blessing um, that Paul wasn't like in some inner dungeon of a prison to where he couldn't receive visitors. Um, the point here is you'll rarely find Paul doing any ministry solo. Um, our series is titled Partnering in the Gospel because we will see that throughout the book of Philippians in the relationship Paul had with them. But really, it is the way God wants the church to be. You'll almost always find Paul with one or more people when he is ministering to others. And I think this is a good example for us. Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. We should have this in mind as we consider reaching out to our community. And even as we reach out to one another within the body of Christ to encourage one another. At first you might feel awkward, but we can't let awkwardness stop us. Um, the more we do ministry together, the more God will develop these kinds of lifelong bonds that we see between Paul, Timothy, and the Philippians. They were way beyond a mere acquaintance level of relationship that, you know, you just have a conversation at the end of a church service in the lobby. Um, they had done life together. Um, John Ortberg, who some of you may have heard of, writes this, quoting a study that tracked <clears throat> the lives of 7,000 people over a period of nine years. And this is what he writes. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People even who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol use, but with strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. I think the takeaway there is um, it's better to drink pizza, drink Pepsi. You don't drink pizza. <laughs> it's better to drink Pepsi and eat pizza with friends than to eat broccoli and drink water alone. Um, that's my motto anyway. Uh, actually, my motto is just it's better to drink Pepsi and eat pizza, period. Um, so... <clears throat> But doing life alone is not healthy physically and it's not healthy spiritually. Um, it's not how we were designed. God designed us for relationships and left to ourselves, we will all come up with less. Um, being by yourself is not church. 
And I think you all know that. We talk about that a lot here. Um, <clears throat> I want to share another study. This, this is very interesting. It's a, it's a secular study, okay? Um, uh, and it was done by Harvard and the University of Wisconsin-Madison on components that led to a higher quality of life. And here's what they found. And this is a quote. People who say that they go to church every week but say that they have no close friends at that church are not any happier than people who never go to church, unquote. One of the researchers went on to say this, people who say they go once a month or less and say they have a couple of close friends in the church they attend tend to be happier than people who say they go every week but say they have no close friends. The researchers also found that if you compare two people with the same number of close friends in life, both inside and outside the church, those with stronger relationships in church report being happier. In other words, people get more satisfaction out of their church friendships than they do in their friendships and their life outside of church. The one researcher closed with this statement, and this is a quote, I'm not a religious person, and so after I did this study, I was surprised by how well the friendships in a congregation actually explained people's satisfaction. He went on to say, I wondered whether I should personally go to church. I know it would make my mother happy. It would also give them joy because joy comes through relationships with God's people. So it's very important that as a church, we are committed to community. There is no partnership in the gospel without community. A second observation is this, um, is that this greeting here in, in the first two verses uh, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That greeting is packed with gospel significance. What I mean by that is Paul refers to them as saints in Christ Jesus. So who are the saints? It's people who know Jesus. When you know Jesus, you are set apart. And that's this word, hagios, that might not be pronouncing it right, but that's the Greek word there in the original text. Um, it's the Greek word uh, for holy. And you might say, I don't feel holy. Well, holiness is not based on how you feel. It's based on what Jesus did. So you're set apart, and the word for that is saints. Saints are not just people on stained glass windows or people who wear sandals and robes. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. A third observation is that Paul wrote this letter to the entire church, um, and he said, including the overseers and deacons. I feel like in our day and age of the superstar senior pastor or the rock star lead pastor or the celebrity teaching pastor, we would have expected the letter to have been addressed to that guy. Um, but that's not how God designed leadership in the local church. The word overseer and elder and shepherd or pastor are used almost interchangeably in the New Testament. And you can see this in Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, um, Acts 20, I think. Um, uh, the word overseer refers to this uh, where well, the word overseer refers to his oversight responsibilities. The word elder refers to the leader's character. And the word shepherd refers to the leader's functional role. There are three elders here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, no senior pastor, no lead pastor, and no teaching pastor. Now, I understand that some 
Churches tend to create these positions for practical administrative reasons, but in our understanding of the scriptures here, we're content to have overseers, which we call elders, and deacons like the church at Philippi. If there was any um, practical name of an elder here, it would be our, our lead elder would be the IT pastor, and that would be Dave Welch, because at any time, he could press a keystroke and shut this whole thing down. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and me and Eric wouldn't know what's going on. We would not know how to get, a, how to get you guys back online. <laughs> and now that he's getting everyone set up in, in planning center or church center, it's going to, you know, what, what happens if uh, the phones go out, you know, or the internet dies? How are we going to communicate with one another? We'll have to go back to the, uh, the good old days and write letters like Paul. Um, the fourth and last observation I want us to see, and you, have may, and you may have noticed this, is Paul talked about joy and rejoicing a number of times throughout the letter. 14 to be exact, but I'm sure you weren't counting. Um, so our theme for the book could have been joy in the journey, as the book of Philippians is so much about how we can live a joy-filled life. And just to make a distinction, there is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is a sense of satisfaction based on circumstances. Well, happiness can come and go as circumstances change. Um, Drew normally comes to our house uh, Sunday mornings and to go to church with me and Troy because we have to get here early typically. And as soon as Drew pulled up, I mean, that rain, it was just pouring. And I thought, circumstances changed. He is going to get soaked just getting from one car to the other. And uh, so maybe he wasn't so happy. I don't know. Joy, on the other hand, is very different. Joy is a sense of delight that you feel regardless of the circumstances. Joy is a gift from God. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer as a fruit of the Spirit. And God wants us to experience joy. Here's Paul. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, and yet he has incredible joy. Why is this important? If you know Nehemiah 8.10, it says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have joy, you're not going to be strong in the Lord, at least not in the way God wants you to be. So we need that joy. I'm going to overstep just one verse, my brother Eric, and share verse 3, which he's going to go through next week, 3 through 11. Um, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When Paul thinks of Philippi, what does he think about? <clears throat> I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's thinking about the good things. How many people, if it were us, um, when we thought of Philippi, would have thought, you know, that's the place that did me dirty. That's the place that abused me. I still have scars on my back from that place. When I think of you, Philippians and Philippi, I think of the scars on my back, and, and I think all I think of is trouble that was caused to me. They threw me in prison there. You know, it's human nature to recount the negative, and the fact of the matter is that there's not a person in this room that couldn't go down the list of who done you wrong, who said something nasty about you, who cheated you, who took advantage of you, who betrayed you, who hurt you. But what happens is our human nature wants to hang on to those hurts 
and not only hang on to them, but rehearse them over and over in our minds. And the problem is when we choose to hang on to hurt, and when we choose to rehearse hurt in our minds, we're choosing a life without joy. Joy is gone when we hold on to the hurts of yesterday. Here's what happens. Every time you rehearse the hurts, you embed them deeper in your heart. And it makes it harder for you to trust people. It makes it harder for you to love people. It ends up isolating you. And while you are trying to insulate yourself from the hurt around you, what you're really doing is building a wall that imprisons you. Paul refuses to do that, and as a result, he has joy, and we're going to see that so many times in this book. We're going to see how Paul chose to not think of the negative. Um, I mean, of anyone, you know, so many things happened to him. You could read this in 2 Corinthians, um, all the things that Paul went through, Um, but Paul refuses to do that, and as a result, he has joy. When Paul thinks of Philippi, he's thinking about how they were with him, how they ministered to him, how they were in this together. They had relationship. They had fellowship. And the result is that Paul had great joy. He lived, Philippians 4, 8, um, when he talked about thinking about things that were true and praiseworthy and, um, and all of those things. Could I just challenge some of you to review the narrative of your life? How do you tell it? What do you talk about and purpose to talk about the good things? What is your speech characterized by when you tell your story to other people? So as we go through Philippians together over the next few months, let's pray that God takes us to a new normal of living joy-filled lives as God intended. Peter calls us a joy unspeakable. So as we partner together for the gospel, people around us would see a joy-filled power of God resting on our lives. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we know, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it's a a gift from you. And, and, And we who believe have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, um, We can experience joy 24-7 as we yield our lives to you and, and, and choose to yield our lives to you rather than um, choose to give in to our, our human nature, our fleshly um, desires to hold on to negative things. And um, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, even as... As, as I was praying this morning for myself even, thinking that what, what is the problem? It's that not having an awareness that you are always working around us and in us and the people around us. And, and um, I just pray that you would help us to have that awareness like Paul had, even in prison. He had the awareness that you were still working. He didn't dwell on the circumstances, he dwelled on the fact that you were doing something. And I just pray that you would raise our level of awareness that you are always working around us, God, um, and, and that we would just um, yield our lives to the Holy Spirit so that we could um, have joyful lives and um, 
I think of this little button that um, we used to wear a long time ago. Enjoy life now. Ask me how. I mean, could we, could we wear that button? Lord, I pray that as we go through this book of Philippians, God, that, that we would experience joy, that we would be ones who could wear that button confidently. Enjoy life now. Ask me how. To where our lives didn't uh, demonstrate uh, something to where people would go, ask you? Your, your life doesn't look like someone that I would want to ask about anything. And so God, again, it's, it's from you, it's the Holy Spirit, and I just pray that you would work supernaturally in our lives as we know that um, we need you. We need you every hour, every hour we need you. Lord, I pray that even in our time of discussion now, God, that uh, um, we'd have an awareness that you're working in and through each one of us and that each one of us here might have something to share with someone else um, that could encourage them from their own experience, Lord. So God, I pray that you would, you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.